holiday in 1908 and became a federal holiday here in the States in 1914. Uh, in 1910, there was a lady raised by her uh, widowed father who began to talk about uh, Father's Day, but it was much slower to catch on. It actually failed to pass in Congress two times. Sorry, dads. And finally, in 1970, Congress did pass a resolution recognizing Father's Day uh, as something of a holiday. Interestingly, but not surprisingly, 30% less is spent on Father's Day than on Mother's Day. Also, back before the widespread rise of cell phones, there was such a thing as placing a collect call for those of you who are younger, if somebody is placing a collect call to my home, I pick up the phone. There is an operator speaking to me and asking me if I am willing to pay for this long-distance call from whoever. And I was a bit surprised to see that Father's Day was the busiest day of the year for collect calls. <laughs> I love you, Dad. I really want to talk to you, but I'm counting on you paying the dime for this call. Father's Day isn't quite as special as Mother's Day in the eyes of the world. Nonetheless, as we look around in our society and the attack on the family, so many homes not even having a dad, it's appropriate and perhaps even urgent for us uh, to reflect on the importance of biblical fathering. So this morning and this evening, we want to look at one of the best-known passages on fatherhood in our Bibles, which, according to my records, the last time this was dealt with publicly here is some 10 years ago. What have we been doing? Well, notice with me, uh, Roman numeral 1 from uh, uh, Ephesians 6 and verse 4, the recipients. The recipients of the parental directive. First of all, a fathers are explicitly addressed. They are named. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And in the parallel, uh, where Paul is going to say a slightly different message, Colossians 3 and verse 21, once again, fathers are named. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And fathers are mentioned because they are to be the leaders in the home. The Greeks and the Romans were patriarchal, but of a much more domineering, I think we could even say cruel, sort of way. Hona writes, despite the severity of Greek parental control, the Romans thought that the Greeks were somewhat lax regarding the attitude of children toward their parents. In the Roman family, 
The father had absolute control over all his family. It was called father power. The father's control over his son was for life. He can imprison his son, scourge his son, shame him, punish him, sell him into slavery up to three times, or have him killed. So much for the patriarchal view of fathering there in Rome. With the spread of Christianity, there was a loving tenderness that was brought in alongside of what they would have natively thought of fathering. Another evangelical Edie writes, Fathers are spoken to since training is their duty. And because this peculiar sin which the apostle condemns is one to which they as fathers and not mothers are peculiarly liable. There is an old commentator, uh, Daniel, that I have, I think, on the book of Colossians. uh, And he writes, fathers are especially admonished by name as to both Uh, this duty, both in Colossians and Ephesians. For the softer nature of the mother rather leads her to the contrary evil of indulgence. But the father is more in danger from his disposition of irritating children by harshness, provoking their young passions by unjust and unreasonable commands, and acting by mere authority more than by persuasion and mild direction. So fathers are mentioned explicitly. But secondly, B, notice that mothers are implicitly addressed. In the earlier verses, verse 1, children obey your parents, the both of them. Verse 2, honor your father and your mother. And surely mothers are going to have a part in bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So mothers are still in view with this teaching on parenting. The mother is placed alongside of the father, but certainly the father cannot walk away from this responsibility that God gives uh, through the Apostle Paul. And what did we learn? Thirdly, see lessons. What did we learn? Well, parental agreement in child-rearing is vital. Those who share a work must agree on how they're going to go about it if they would expect success. Amos 3 asks, can two walk together unless they are agreed? It is obey your parents. It's assuming that the parents are coming with a united front. Honor your father and your mother. It's assuming that the dad is not saying something different than what the mother is. To honor one is to violate the direction of the other. And it gives a mutuality in their action on the part of dad and mom. From a bygone era, John Angle James writes, Both parents should join to support domestic authority, 
For a more truly distressing and injurious spectacle can scarcely be seen in the family circle than a fond and foolish mother counteracting the effects of paternal chastisement by stealing to the little prisoner in his captivity to comfort him in his distress, to wipe away his tears, and to hush his sorrows by some gratification of his palate. In this way, children have been sometimes hardened in their crimes, set against their father, and led to ultimate and irretrievable ruin. There must be agreement. Secondly, by way of lessons, dads, may have more of a tendency to an uncaring harshness that needs to be guarded against. There's some reason why Paul is saying, fathers, don't provoke, Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, don't exasperate, Colossians 3, and verse 21. Dad is to take the lead in the home And yet Solomon speaks in Proverbs 6.20, and do not forsake the law of your mother, that she is an authority as well. Thirdly, moms may have more of an aversion to enforce their word. Dads are to take the lead. It is true in Hebrews 12, uh, there is that, uh, that question, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. But what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Yet moms who must spend, who often will spend much more time during the day with the children need to have something of a law of mother, of an authority, uh, or there will be failure to some level in raising the children. The recipients, explicitly dads, implicitly moms, Roman numeral two, the twofold essence of the parental directive. There's so much that is packed in this one verse. Notice the twofold essence, the two parts. You need to do something negative. You need to do something positive. First of all, A, the negative duty of avoiding something, avoiding provocation. Do not provoke your children to wrath. And the word here for provoke is just that. If you look in the Greek lexicon, it's, it's to, to move someone. It's rendered that way in Romans ten nineteen. I will move you Jews to anger by a foolish nation. But then that other word in Colossians 3.21, exasperate in the New American Standard, provoke the same, translated the same, and the meaning is much the same. But it can be either, the Colossians 3.21 word can either be good or bad. You can stir someone up to do something good, or you can stir someone up to do something bad. Uh, to make someone resentful, to rouse them to anger, to uh, incite them to something one way or the other. And of course, uh, this is uh, to the bad. And then consider with me some potential occasions. What things do we need to avoid? Uh, 
if we would not provoke a child to anger or exasperation? Well, first of all, the anger provoked by a dad's desertion. Dad doesn't care enough about me to be involved in my life. Anger provoked by a dad's regular neglect. He's here, but he doesn't really seem to be interested in me. He spends so little time with me, and that must mean that he doesn't really care about me. It's striking that children in orphanages, in South Korea in particular, have a higher number of orphans that when they reach age 18 and they're to go out into the world, instead of doing that, many of these commit suicide. And it's just this this, uh, feeling evidently that comes over them that I'm in the orphanage because my parents don't want me, they don't care for me, they don't value me, and there is an inability uh, to face the world. Or another area is anger provoked by a dad's angry, harsh, or embarrassing discipline, where he's overly severe, where dad is in anger punishing a child for potentially being in anger. There needs to be an awareness of when the fault happens. Listen, I was out of line in my response. And further, anger can be provoked by a dad or a mom's desire to live out their lives through the child. This is what I I really wanted in my life. I didn't quite get there, but I'm going to get you there, and I'm going to get satisfaction for it. No, the child has their own individual life. Dr. and Pastor MacArthur writes, I once visited a young woman who was confined to a padded cell, and she was in a state of trance-like shock. She was a professing Christian had been raised in a professing Christian family. But her mother had ceaselessly pushed her to be the most popular, beautiful, and successful girl in school. She became head cheerleader, homecoming queen, and later a model. But the pressure to excel became too great, and she had a complete mental collapse. After she was eventually released from the hospital... She went back into that same artificial and demanding environment, and when again she found that she could not cope, she committed suicide. She had summed up her frustration when she told me one day, I don't care what I do, it is never satisfying to my mother. Well, let's avoid some of these named occasions of uh, provoking uh, anger. But then further, notice with me the motive from Colossians 3, the motive for avoiding exasperation. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Discouraged, where they are disheartened, another translation of that, where they feel like giving up, And the sense is that children are precious social creatures. 
that need to blossom and unfold under our loving parental care. Um, Edie speaks of how children teased and irritated lose heart and renounce uh, every endeavor to please or uh, to um, seek uh, anything more than a soulless uh, obedience. Gardner Spring, the poorest and weakest, simplest child is born for eternity. This value outweighs the entire material universe. Now think of that for a moment. This little child made in the image of God has such dignity and worth and as one made in the image of God is of more value than all the universes and all the stars and all the galaxies. The tiniest infant owns a deathless intellect and is as immortal as the father of spirits. One cannot tell what this child will become. So a parent is to feed and to nurture this young life and to take care that they not dishearten or push that child into not caring. So dads, embrace your role as a giver of life and as a developer of that life. The negative duty, avoid something. Avoid the provoking. And now, secondly, be the positive side. The positive duty of providing nurture. And this key term of bring them up is the leading translation in the New King James, New American Standard. You go back to the ASV, it is nurture them. And the word is one that was found in our reading, Ephesians 5 and verse 25. No one hates his own body, unless there's something they're mentally disturbed. But we nourish that body. We care for it. And if there's a, a little cut here, there's all of this caution taken to provide, uh, to avoid infection, and we want it to heal, and we care for it. That's the word here of nourishing and caring for these little ones. So here is the positive thing. Uh, we are to give ourselves uh, to the positive care, the nurture, the bringing them up. I'm going to be a life coach to help this little rose to unfold and to fully bloom. Uh, it is a positive commandment. It is an imperative. It is something that parents, that dads are to do over and over and over again. Bring them up, bring them up, nourish them, nourish them, nourish them. Children are not merely to exist. Parents are to love them and care for them and to help them to expand and grow. Once again, Dr. MacArthur. My family's all grown and the kids are all gone. But if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at mistakes and our joys. 
I would listen more even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Instead of focusing so much on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my, with my family Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use to direct them to God. I guess he wouldn't do anything else. But, but there's, we, I don't want to take away from what he is saying, that there is more that I could have done. And I have no reason to believe that... Uh, Dr. MacArthur uh, has anything less than a wonderful relationship with his children and his grandchildren. Roman numeral three, the twofold means. There are two things that we're supposed to do. We are to avoid provoking, and we are to positively bring them up, to nourish them, to nurture them. And then we've got two tools in our toolbox for nurturing them. How are we going to bring them up? How do I nourish them? Well, the last part of verse 4, I'm going to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction. There's our two words. So, first of all, A, nurture this positive duty. How do I do it? First of all, my first tool is chastening. Nurture by chastening. So dads and moms are life coaches. And one of the things that they want to work into their little student is discipline. And one of the ways that they bring that discipline is by willing, being willing to discipline. Here's the word used in Ephesians 6 in verse 4, rendered in the main translations as discipline, training, discipline, chastening. Again, the ASV, you go back to 1901 and find a, a word that really captures maybe what the original means. It is uh, paideia. And this word of paideia in the Greek if we look back to the book of Proverbs, to their Greek translation, here we have it. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 22 and verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of Paideia, the rod of correction, will drive it far from him. It's not hard to understand what paideia means there. Proverbs 23 and verse 13, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you strike him with the rod, he will not die. So in the New Testament, often it has this physical sense. Pilate concerning Jesus he said, I will therefore chastise him and release him. Uh, 
What that meant in that situation was very painful to the Lord Jesus. Paul to the Corinthians in the context of some being sick and others uh, being uh, prematurely have passed from this world. Paul says we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. There are some individuals who are true Christians but who get involved in an area of compromise and God says, I'm going to strike you with sickness so that you'll think about what you're doing. And yet there are others that are so compromised that God says, I'm just going to take you home. Enough of this compromise of having my name and taking my name into inappropriate situations. Now, we may have an aversion to this concept, but the concept is in our Bibles. So we at least have to ask, what is meant by this? And please understand, I have absolutely no sympathy whatsoever for the physical abuse of children. Whenever I would speak of spanking, what I am talking about is the surface sting to that fleshy part of the backside. But this generation is wiser than God and has gone totally away from the word of God. But God tells us if we won't use this instrument that he has given to us, then we are likely contributing to our son's ruin in some aspect of their character. So nurture by chastening. There's this positive thing. We want to bring them up. But as we're bringing them up, we're willingly going to embrace the tool that God gives us, and one is chastening. Secondly, B, what's the other one? Nurture by admonition. By admonition. And if I look in four of my Greek lexicons, the common word found in each of them as a synonym for this admonition word is warning. And I believe that parents need to talk to their kids about anything and everything. Look at the book of Proverbs. My son. My son. We're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about how you become wealthy. We're going to talk about the immoral woman. We're going to talk about the importance of truthfulness. We're going to talk about anything and everything, but this word has a little bit more of the negative side to it. Admonition has this, I'm going to give you a warning. And parents, I'm going to suggest that if we embrace giving the warning kind of talks, then we will be comfortable having all sorts of talks with our children. 1 Corinthians 10 says that these things in the Old Testament were written for our admonition. They were written for our warning. Titus 1, for a person who stirs up division in the church, you need to warn him. Titus 3.10, reject a divisive man after a first and second 
admonition after first and second warning. You're causing division in the church. You need to stop this. Romans 15 and verse 14. The church at Rome is able to admonish one another. They see someone drifting. They're able to say, hey, you are drifting. It's, it's exemplified in the book of Proverbs. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she's as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. There's something of the warning. So here's the life coach. The life coach is going to avoid provoking to anger. And the positive thing He is going to nurture them. And how does he do this work of nurture? Two tools are mentioned. One is being willing to discipline, to bring discipline to the child's life. One is being willing to have those hard conversations that says, you need to watch out for this. You need to be uh, uh, avoiding this danger in life. So now we come to Roman numeral four the spiritual qualifier. And you can see we're just taking the verse, starting at the beginning, working our way through it. But now we come to the final phrase of the verse in our English Bibles, the spiritual qualifier for the parental directive of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Who am I to speak to my child as an authority and say, don't do that. You are God's representative to that child. It is a chastening, a training that is of the Lord. And this is very important. Because if we stand as God's representative in the home to the child and we say something, don't you do this, if you do this, there's going to be consequences and then there are no consequences, what happens? You condition your child to believe that God is just like you. You bluster and you say these things, but you don't back up your word and there is no punishment, there is no judgment that comes and you're conditioning that child to believe that when God says there will be a day of accounting at the end of time, you're conditioning your child to not believe God. Don't do it. Well, my children are old enough to dress themselves and I can just leave them alone now to raise themselves. Oh, your grade school child has gotten all the foolishness driven from him or her? No, you're the life coach. You're to be involved in life. You are to nurture them. You're to help that one unfold Gardner Spring again. They call you father and mother. In spite of their childishness and youthfulness, they prize this tender relationship. They're not orphans or strangers for whom nobody cares. 
who finally wandered to their graves without hearing one expression of parental love. They are your children, your possession. They have this God-authored relationship with no one else but you. So there we have, under Roman numeral four, the spiritual qualifier of the Lord, the chastening and the admonition which flows from the Lord's authority. Secondly, B, the chastening and admonition which flows from the Lord's prescription. Now, in, for five decades, uh, Dr. Spock, um, in this article, Dr. Spock sent corporal punishment to the woodshed. This article, written in 2000, says uh, that spanking has made a comeback. People are recognizing, you know what? This permissive way, it doesn't really work. But when it comes to what we do in the raising of our children, it is a chastening, it is an admonition that is of the Lord. It's what he sanctions and what he does. So it really doesn't matter what the Book of the Month Club is saying that parents ought to do this particular month, this particular year, this particular decade, but it is that we are to raise our children with the awareness that this is what the Lord has prescribed. And if the Lord has prescribed thousands of years ago that parents are to bring about a sting on the fleshy backside of the child, then we go with that out of love for that child and out of a desire to see God glorified through his word. Roman numeral five, practical notes. Practical notes from the parental directive. Note the wonderful balance of the biblical ethic. There's that thing that you're not supposed to do. Don't provoke them to anger. There's a a whole attitude of love that you need to bring to that situation. Then there's this positive thing. You need to nurture them and bring them up. And and nurture has got this idea of cherishing. That's the way it's used in Ephesians 5.29 that you, you, you want to nourish this plant. You want to nourish this individual. And yet the balance is not only the negative and the positive, but as you're doing the positive, feel free to, on occasion, use that spanking. And feel free, as you're nourishing this child, to give a warning, to give a verbal warning. To You see the balance here. And it's very important for us to have this one verse in its whole spectrum of application, because you and I are prone to extremes. All right, I'm going to be that loving dad who never brings, I'm just going to be their friend, never going to confront them. Well, that's not biblical. That's not right. That's not helpful. That's not going to work as a life coach. 
There's got to be the avoiding of the provocation to anger. There's got to be that positive nurture that involves some willingness to discipline and some willingness to speak about difficult topics here. Let all of our parenting reflect not our background, not what our parents did, or uncritically accepted patterns of the world, but let all our parenting be done in the Lord. Secondly, be by way of practical notes. Note the sad reality of the human condition. Fathers can provoke their children to anger. We all know that. We know that dads, we know that moms can get angry with their children. And we know that children can get angry with their parents. But that's the sad condition of humanity. And if a child gets angry, dad, you're not, you're making me angry. You're not supposed to make me angry. Well, does that mean that if a child gets annoyed, that it's always the dad's fault. No. There is a native selfishness that needs to be more and more removed from the heart of the dad and mom, and there is a native selfishness that needs to be more and more removed from the heart of the child. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. And how is it that the Bible is always right when it describes the human condition? Well, it's because it's breathed out by God, our maker. Thirdly, see, note the necessary graces for parenting. What do you need, dads, if you want to parent effectively? Well, first of all, you need humility. A humility that is willing to submit to God and his word. I know Dr. Spock is saying such and such, but God says, and we need parents who are beyond selfishly asserting their own rights and their own wants. Humility. Secondly, what graces are necessary? Self-control. John Engel James again. Parents should seek the entire government of their temper, a habit of self-control, a meekness not to be disturbed by the greatest of provocation, a patience not to be wearied by long opposition. I say to any father or mother, are you irritable? Are you irritable over a petty annoyance? If so, begin this moment the work of subduing your temper. You are in imminent peril of ruining your family. How many parents have had to bewail with weeping eyes and almost broken hearts the effects of their own irritability as a parent in headstrong, passionate dispositions of their children? Self-control. What else do we need? An other-oriented love. The parent who lives for him or herself is in for trouble. Children are rational, social creatures 
that are led and not driven. And you can't drive them to love you, and you can't drive them to love God. A kindness of manner, an affectionate, persuasive address is of great importance. It is desirable for parents to render their company pleasant to their children, to engage their confidence, to exert over them the influence of love, which certainly cannot be done by a cold and rude or distant behavior. What else do you need? Wisdom. Wisdom. The fourth that I'm listing this morning is that characteristic of wisdom. What is that? James again. A habit of discrimination is a very important qualification in parents. A penetrating insight into the character an acuteness in judging of motives. Such a talent is of immense importance and connected with this, a quickness of discerning the disposition together with a faculty of adapting treatment to the varieties of character. Much more could be said. We need wisdom. We need skill in living. Dads, moms, Where are you going to find humility, self-control, an other-oriented love, and wisdom, a skill in making decisions? Well, if you had no other reason for becoming a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is a very good reason. How can dads bring up their children in the training and admonition of the Lord if they do not know the Lord? That parent will have little ability and little desire to lead that child to love the Lord if they don't love the Lord themselves. And what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do you see the work of God's Holy Spirit in you? Do you see some of the fruit? Do you see the Spirit of God sanctifying you? Is the problem really with your children? Is it really the fault of everybody else who annoys you? Could it be you? Maybe the most important thing someone hearing my voice this morning needs to consider is that I need to be right with the Lord. I need to be forgiven and I need to be transformed if I'm going to have the kind of character that will enable me to succeed as a parent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the scriptures. Thank you for giving us this one verse that has so much packed in it from beginning to end. 
where you address fathers, where you tell us to avoid the provocation, and you tell us to concentrate positively on this nurture, this bringing nourishment to them, to be the life coaches and our tools of discipline and of instruction, and to do all of this with you backing us, with you giving us the things that we need to say. Uh, We thank you, Father, for your scripture, and we pray that you would use this as a fresh encouragement to us. Uh, uh, Some of us are beyond the raising of children, but we can support those who are. We can understand what their job is. We can pray with them that you will bring blessing. And we would ask our God as we take up this theme once again this evening to focus on what our goal should be in the raising of our children. Draw near to us and bless. We ask this in Christ's mighty name. Amen.